Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Have a Bible? Um, open up with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3 this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 3, and if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. 1 Timothy chapter 3, yeah. Yeah, yeah. there's some, some of these um, books. For, oh, Okay, we need, the, we need those, the books that people took for the devotionals for, um, for A Place of Hope uh, the, coming up this, this be, the end of this month. We them back by next Sunday so that we can get them to them before they start. So make sure you bring those in. And you can just drop them off at the Welcome Center and uh, we'll, we'll collect them all. And it's going to be a super big blessing for them. So, all right. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Paul writing to Timothy is addressing, again, false teachers in the church at Ephesus, and they have led both men and women astray in the church with false doctrine and unbiblical practices. And so Paul is exhorting Timothy here to deal with the mess that's going on in Ephesus there, and, and uh, he, has it, he has a big job to do. Remember Acts chapter 20, we talk about this um, a, cu- a couple um, times during the, this uh, sermon series, but Paul told the, the elders at the church of Ephesus that this was going to happen. He called them to himself before he, went to, before he was arrested and then went into his first imprisonment in Rome. He told the elders, their guys, there are going to be uh, wolves that are going to come in to this church and they're going to tear it down if you don't protect it. There's also going to be people that will rise up in the midst of this church if you guys don't stay on guard. And here's the thing is they failed. They failed and exactly what Paul told them that was going to happen has happened. Now, Paul takes his most trusted um, you know, disciple, his son in the faith, his protege, Timothy, and he says, Timothy, I'm going to leave you here in the church of Ephesus so that you can clean this mess up. So that's really what's happening. He's already addressed, in chapter one, he's addressed the idea that they, can, they should, um, Timothy needs to command the false teachers not to leave the church. That's not what he said. He said, command them not to speak false doctrine. He's telling them, give them an opportunity to hear the word of God, to hear the truth. Don't kick them out of the church, but command them to stop talking. And if they don't listen, then you have to, you have to get rid of them. You can't allow them to, to uh, you know, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You can't allow them to affect the entire and corrupt the entire congregation. So he, he addresses the false doctrines that are, he's, he encourages Timothy to do that. He also talks, exhorts Timothy to exhort the men in Ephesus to pray. He said, you guys need to be praying everywhere. And, and then he talked about last week about the, um, about the roles and, and the, the, the roles of women in the church, in and outside of the church, and what that, how that works, and, and that women are to fall in rank regarding their conduct and their roles. And so um, that was a fun one. If you missed it, you can check it out online. It was, it was good, man. <laughs> but but to today, we're going to talk about what, what one must possess in order to be uh, fulfill an office in the church of overseer to, or to fulfill the, the position of a deacon in the church. And you might think like, wow, what does that have to do with me? Well, listen, everything that he has to say should be reflected in every Christian everywhere, always. So everything that he's saying should be in your life, or if it is in your life, should be something you're striving for. Um, but when it comes to leaders in the church or people that are fulfilling roles in the church, here's what they should look like. And that's what he's going to talk to us about um, this morning. So if you would stand with me, First Timothy chapter 3, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must 
be well thought of, thought by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in faith that is in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, we thank you that you give us very clearly in black and white, Lord, the qualities of people as it relates to servants in your church. Lord, we don't have to try and make them up we don't have to lessen the requirement, but we also don't have to make it more strict. You've told us exactly in your word the kind of people that you desire to, to serve in your body, to serve your body, to feed your sheep, to tend to them, to care for them. Lord, to, to, to see, serve in very practical ways within the body. But at the same token, Lord, we know that these qualities ought to be present in all of our lives. And so we pray that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, that we would open ourselves to you now, that your spirit would have the right to speak into our lives. Lord, that you would comfort, encourage, convict, Lord, whatever is necessary this morning to make us more like Jesus, we pray in his name, amen. You can be seated. One of the things that Paul is addressing here in the church of Ephesus was the chaotic nature of the body and the unbiblical practice that, that they were engaged in. Again, these false teachers had come into the church. They were cannibalizing the members of the church, and, and, and they were doing this because there was a lack of leadership in the body. Leadership is key to keeping the church on track, and the church at Ephesus was lacking severely in this area. So if you don't have a, a strong leadership in your body, then, then all kinds of things are going to start happening and you're not, it, it, things are going to spiral out of control. That's why Paul pulled the elders aside in, in Acts chapter 20 and he told them what they needed to do. They needed to be strong. They needed to be prepared for these things that were coming. Listen, there's not probably a time in the history of the church other than the establishment of the, the church that really we need strong leadership in the church right now. Like what's going on in our body? We're facing things in our country that are unprecedented. They, they haven't really happened in the American church and, and certainly not in recent years. I mean, probably maybe you grew up in the church, but you certainly haven't seen a lot of the things that are happening in our churches today. We have people in pulpits that have no business being in pulpits. We have, we have people redefining what the Bible says about who can be um, a minister and who can't be. And we, we, have, we have even governmental authorities coming down on the, the church, oppressing the church, even in some states closing the doors of the church. And so right now, we need strong leadership in the church. We, we can't cower down to the things that, are, that, that we have to face as battles within the church. Now, we know who the battle belongs to. The battle belongs to the Lord, but listen, God uses people. So, so here's the thing is if you're sitting back and you're thinking, well, this battle belongs to the Lord, he'll do it. Listen, there, there are certainly things that you cannot do that I cannot do. None of us can do. So we, we have to have that kind of faith in the Lord. We have to trust the Lord. We have to say, Lord, yeah, I'm going to let you do what only you can do, but we do have certain responsibilities to be who we're called to be. Sort of, you know, when, when it comes to battle, you know, the, the Bible tells us that we have to be prepared. We need to be suited up in the armor of God. Now, it's not like we have to fight the battle, which is, seems kind of strange that you would get ready for something that you don't have to really fight, but, but God wants us to, to be engaged. He wants us to follow him in the battle. We're not sitting back with our arms folded saying, oh, there's nothing I can do. Listen, there are, we have weaponry that I don't think that we take advantage of. Prayer. 
Prayer is an offensive weapon that you don't have to go anywhere in order to engage in. And you can, you can storm the gates of hell by getting on your knees and saying and beginning to pray for the things that are going on in our world today. That's why we, we, we would love to see this place packed out on prayer, type, prayer, prayer meetings because there is power in prayer. But never to say the least, we need strong leaders in the church today. We need people that are going to stand on the word of God. We need people that are going to, that are going to, to, to call out falsehoods and those sorts of things. Those are the kind of people. In other words, there's been a movement in our country called a seeker-friendly movement. And what it has done in the effort to try and draw people into the church, it is, it is weakened and watered down the word of God. So now people aren't really getting the full truth. We need leaders that are going to stand and say, look, this is what it says. Unapologetically. You know, we, we, I don't make this stuff up. It says what it says, and I'm just telling you what it says. And in fact, I encourage you to read it for yourself. I encourage you to take it and open it up and read what it has to say. The Lord wants you to know he's not hiding things from you. But when you come to a church, you want to have a church that has a strong leadership that people are committed to these things because you're not here to be entertained, I assume. If you, if you are, you're in the wrong church because I'm not an entertainer. But uh, we, we, we do entertain angels, though, and I'm sure they are very, very entertained by what they see down here uh, uh, in our lives. But nevertheless, without proper leadership, listen, an organism can't really be organized. Now, why do I say it like that? Because the church is an organism. It's a leave, living, breathing thing, but it requires organization. And God is the creator and the implementer, so he organized the church. I love what Warren Wearsby said about this. He said, every organism has to be organized or it will die. The human body is a living, organ, or it is a living organism, but it is also a highly organized machine. If the local church is to do its tasks effectively, it must have leadership, and this implies organization. It's true. God is a God of organization, and he desires his church to be organized, not just a blob of cells that doesn't know what it's doing. He has a structure when it comes to the body of Christ, and he, he makes it super clear what that structure is, and that's kind of what we're going to look at today. But godly leadership is a necessity for this. And what we're going to look at this morning is the qualities of a godly leader slash servant in the church. What should we be looking for when we're looking for leadership? What, what, what exactly, what kind of qualities are we looking for? Are there, or we could say it another way, what kind of qualifications are we looking for when we decide what church we're going to go to? Are we looking for qualifications? Are we looking for qualities? It, listen, if you're looking for letters at the end of a name, that is meaningless. It, it, not because I don't have those, by the way. I think those are super awesome, and I, I thank God that people um, are able to commit themselves to study in that way. And listen, I, I learned from a ton of guys that have letters behind their names. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that person is qualified to stand in the pulpit. They might know a lot, about the black and white of the Bible, or they, a lot of times they don't know much at all. In fact, they don't even consider the Bible to be God's word anymore because they're so smart. But, but here's the reality. There are qualities that God instills in a, a man, in, 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 a, in a woman, that he is calling to be a servant in his body. And, and we have to look at those things and say, Lord, you know, how does that reflect in our church? And, and if you don't see these kind of things in, in the, the church that you attend, then you probably shouldn't attend that church. You probably shouldn't be going, hey, what's, what's best for me? What's best for you is to surrender to the, to the structure and to the, to, to, the, um, to the full counsel of God's word. That's what's best for you. Listen, it is, it is an incredible soul soother the word of God, it, it is alive and active, and, and it heals, but it also cuts. And we need to hear both. We need to hear the whole truth. Not that Jesus died, not just that Jesus died for my sins, but he died for my sins because I am desperately in need of a savior. That's why. His blood was shed for me because I'm not a good person, that I need a savior to save me, and that's the point. 
What are the qualifications or what are the qualities of a, of a godly leader? We begin by looking at the qualities of an overseer here in verse 1 where he says, this is a trustworthy saying. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. You, you, you might recall this phrase if the saying is trustworthy. Remember, we encountered this already back in chapter 1, verse 15. And I told you that this is one of five trustworthy statements that we find in the pastoral epistles. What are those? Those are the three letters that Paul wrote to, to, to two pastors in the church, two of them to the same pastor, Timothy, First and Second Timothy, and then Titus. They are the pastoral epistles. And Paul says five times in these three letters, this is a trustworthy, a trustworthy statement or this is, a, this is a saying that is trustworthy. Why does he say that? What does that mean? He's communicating a basic truth that is known by everyone already. There's no question about what he's saying. Like they're not arguing over whether what, he, what he's about to say is, is trustworthy or not. They just ha already um, have received this truth and they're holding on to it. So that's what he means. This saying is trustworthy. What is this saying about? It's about the leadership in church. And he's saying, listen, this is a trustworthy statement. If anyone aspires the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Paul is making reference here to the call to ministry, to the overseer. We'll talk about what that word means here in a moment, but I want to talk about the idea of the aspiration of the person that steps into this role, that the aspiring after, Paul says, if anyone aspires, what does that mean? That means if anyone is called, that's what it means. It's not if anyone just wants to do whatever they want in the church, then, then awesome. That's not what he's saying. He's speaking specifically about people who literally that word aspire could, could be translated um, desire, if anyone desires. And it's not a, an earthly desire. It's, it's a heavenly desire that is put in your heart. He's talking about, you know, what David said in Psalm 37.4. You guys know that verse? I love this verse because it means that God will give me everything I want. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Oh, Lord, you're the genie in the bottle. That's not what that means, actually. What it really means, wouldn't it be awesome if it did? It's like, no, actually it wouldn't because your desires are bad. I mean, they would be very bad. But, but what, it, what, it, what it's saying is that when you delight yourself in God, what happens is your heart becomes his heart. Your desires become his desires. He puts his desires in your heart when you delight in him. If you're here this morning and you're thinking like, man, I just, I don't, I'm confused. I don't understand what his desires are for me. Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, here's, here's, here's what also happens to many, many people when they delight themselves in the Lord and they begin to seek God as it relates to the, the, His will in their life. They, oh, no, no, that's not me. Uh-uh, I can't do that, God. He put the desire in your heart, but like, whoa, whoa, let's put the brakes on here. What are you talking about? I'm not stepping into that. Uh-uh, I'm not doing that. Here's the thing. We have to, A, number one, be willing to listen. And A, number two, we have to be willing to act. So when, when God shows you what he wants you to do, and it's, it's always big, folks. It's always way bigger than you. It's supposed to be. If it wasn't way bigger than you, then, then, then you wouldn't need God. You wouldn't need his, his listen, when, when I think about doing this, this terrifies me. I, I don't like this, actually. I don't like being up here doing this. I don't like being in front of people a lot like this. And, and in fact, if you knew the, the struggle it is for me sometimes and, and, and the nervousness and, and still I've done this for years and I still like, oh, I don't like this, Lord. I inspect the lights. I hate the spotlight on me. I don't want to be the one-man show kind of thing and, and all of that, I hate that. But I couldn't say no to Jesus because he said, this is what you're called to. And I said, Lord, I'll be a fool for you any day of the week. I'll do it if you want me to do it. But Lord, I gotta know it's you. <laughs> hey, anybody else? Hey, anybody else? The uh, the Gideon. Hey, ah, uh, well, if this if the fleece turns white, uh, you know, if it gets wet and the, everything around it's dry, then I'll know it's you. Oh, and then the next day it's something else. You know, sometimes you just gotta take a step and just say, Lord, I trust you. 
And, and if you don't, you'll never, ever fulfill your calling in, this, in your life, ever. You might, you might try and wiggle around different things to get there, but listen, just do what he says. Just follow not your heart, follow his heart. You know, follow the desires that he puts within you. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, if, if God has put that desire in your heart, that's a calling. This is not something people choose to be. You don't go to seminary to become an overseer in the church. You don't, it doesn't say anything like that. If anyone aspires, if God has called you to be an overseer, then you are, um, you, you're, you've been called to something incredible. That word overseer in the Greek is episkopos. It's where we get our English word episcopal. Perhaps if you grew up in the church and maybe in the Episcopalian you know, religion, then you know that they call their overseers bishops. To be a bishop, that's what that word episcopal means, to be a bishop. Um, it also could be translated elder. We call them elders in our church. Overseers, people that are overseeing um, you know, the church in general. And uh, you, you know, we, have, we have three elders. I'm an elder. Pastor Brian is an elder, and Pastor Mike is an, is an elder. We have three elders in our body here. We are the overseers of the church. Now, you know, some people do call an overseer pastor. But I, I think they're two different, same calling, two, two slightly different things. And one of, uh, Paul, Paul seems to make a differential in relating to bishops and pastors in 1 Timothy 5. When we get there, I'll point it out to you, but, but the point is, is that really ultimately he's talking about an overseer. I think it's an elder primarily is who he's talking about. Somebody who has some oversight over the body of Christ. It's an awesome privilege, man. It is, it is seriously the highest calling that a person can receive on this earth. Higher than the President of the United States, higher than any, any other thing because this translates into eternity. So this translates into eternity and, and the things that, that incorporate that. That's why James said in James 3.1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a, stricter, with a greater strictness. It's a serious calling. It's not, a, it's not something you should take lightly. Now, before I ruffle anybody's feathers about why God calls certain people. Let me explain it to you from the Bible. And in fact, here's, here's the kind of people that God looks for. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse, this is why I qualify. Verse 1, 26 through 29, for consider your calling, brother. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Reality check. If God has called you to this calling, it's because you are the least likely person that, that could ever take any credit for what he does when you step into that role. That's why he calls these kind of people. And in fact, it is, you know, notice it says not many are, are wise. To me, it's, it's incredibly, um, you know, humbling to look at the Apostle Paul, who was somebody that was incredibly schooled, somebody that seemed to have incredible wisdom in, in these kinds of things. So it's not that no one that steps in these roles has some sort of gifting in their, you know, they, they, but, but not many, not many. God wants all the glory. He wants it all. And so he, he's created certain people with certain personalities to step in certain roles for his glory. And in fact, if we want to all boil everything down to what we're called to do, it is one single thing to bring him glory. That is what your life is about. It doesn't matter what role you play. We're all going the same direction, and it's to bring glory to God. That's, that's why we exist. The, the, the work of an overseer here, Paul wants us to, to know that it is a noble task. Emphasis on task. It's not something that, is, that doesn't require any work. It requires substantial amount of work. And in fact, you know, I'm surprised that, that the pastorate hasn't made its way onto dirty jobs with Mike Rowe. I, I think that, 
I mean, listen, you're in the muck with people, right? I mean, you get into the, you get into the pig pen with people and you rub around. You get to see all kinds of crazy things and, and all these kinds of things. It's, it, it's not always a dirty job, but it can be. And, but it is a job. Not a job and is an occupation, but it is work. It's something that requires effort. It's something that requires diligence. It's something that requires, um, you know, you to put a little sweat into. Paul makes it super clear by, by calling it work here, by calling it, he, he require, it requires a lot of diligence and effort. I love what Spurgeon said about the minister and his work. He said, what is the use of a lazy minister? He's no good either to the world, to the church, or to himself. He's a dishonor to the noblest profession that can be bestowed upon the sons of men. True. And you know what? Sadly, a lot of pastors are super lazy. Super lazy. You know, they, they, and in fact, not, not all of them, but, but, but some of them are. Some of them are what I would call the differentiator in the Bible, a hireling that has been hired by the church to do a job versus somebody who's called to step into a pulpit. They're two different people. A hireling is somebody who does it for a paycheck. It's an occupation for them. Somebody who is called does it for nothing. They'll do it no matter what, you know, and they'll put their heart and their life into it. Which one would you like to be your pastor, your, the elder of your church? Not the hireling, because he's not gonna be there when you need him. Because when you need him, it's at 12 o'clock at night or it's, it's early in the morning. It's not 8 to 5 Monday through Friday. And not only is it hard work for them, but it's hard work for their family. Their family suffers. The, 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 it's sort of like somebody who's in the military. They, they offer up their, their family member to go serve. So too it is in ministry. My family sacrificed lots. Mike's family sacrificed. Brian's family sacrificed lots, but it's a calling. So it's okay. He's good, and he wants us to do these things, but make no mistake about it. Uh, the, the elders and the pastors of your church do not only work one day a week for a couple hours. That's not the way it works. And uh, if you only knew. Not only is an overseer called to hard work, but he also needs to work in a way that leaves an impression. So, so what, what does he, how does he need to work? What does his life need to look like? He needs to be somebody who is leading an exemplary lifestyle and known by all people for uh, his sincere devotion to the one and only true king, Jesus Christ. He needs to be known for that. It shouldn't be like, whoa, I didn't know you were a Christian. You know, you walk down, you're like, oh yeah, I pastor a church down there. That's not a good thing. I mean, I'm just saying if somebody walks by you and they know you kind of in passing, but they don't know what you do, and then, the, and then you tell them, oh yeah, I'm a pastor, and they're like, oh, I never would have guessed. Huh. Well, you're like, oh man, that's, that's not good. People should know. Not, not because you want them to know, but, but by, by the way you, you live your life, you should be making a huge statement. That's across the board in, in every person's life. We all should be doing that. So what, there's 15 different qualities that Paul points out here when it comes to overseer in the church. The first thing Paul mentions is that the overseer in the church must be above reproach. That literally means, listen, one who has nothing which an adversary could seize upon with which to base a charge. Huh? What that means is that, that even though somebody could throw false accusations out there, they're false. There would be no, no, no way to, you know, substantiate the claims because you're living your life in such a way that, that there's really no, no, uh, nothing going on in your life that they could call upon the carpet, that you're living above reproach. And what this doesn't mean is that you're perfect. Last time I checked, there's only one perfect human being that ever lived and his name was Jesus. So we're not talking about perfection here. We're not talking about someone who is sinless, but we're talking about someone who sins less, right? Somebody who, who when, and it's not about perfection. That's the thing about living above reproach. You want to know what above reproach is? Ultimately, above reproach is when somebody does something wrong and they step and say, hey, I did this wrong. Will you forgive me? That is above reproach. It's not that you're going to do it perfectly because nobody can do that. But here's the deal is that you, you live by conviction in the Holy Spirit and you're saying, man, I, 
I blew this and I need to make this right. This is not right. Like you're not sweeping stuff under the carpet. You're literally trying to do your best to live as upfront and as transparent as you can before people and uh, you're not hiding things. To be above reproach. Again, this is a call for every, every believer. And, and here's the thing is people will always make accusations. The devil is the accuser. He's the accuser of the brethren day and night, man. So he's going to make accusations, but those accusations should fall to the wayside and they shouldn't be substantiated. We are called to be holy, literally set apart to serve the Lord. Paul goes on uh, to mention this person ought to be the husband of one wife. This should be translated really, you've heard it before no doubt, a one woman man. That's ultimately what, what, how this should translate, not the husband of one wife, but really a one woman man, meaning he, this dude's not a player. Like he's not, you know, flirting around with other women if he's married and, and all these kinds of things. And if he's not married, he's not flirting around with women because that's not, awesome, that's not good. But that he's faithful, that he's faithful. Why is this so important to God? Why is marriage so important to God? Do you know Why? because it illustrates the love that Christ has for his church. Listen, Christ loved his church and he gave himself for her. Husbands, love your wives that way. That's what the Bible says. And overseers should have that kind of a love for their wife, that they are loving their wife, that it's, that it's evidence of people. Like, you know what? Really, ultimately, I hate to say it, but other women should be like, dude, why don't you treat me like that? You know what I mean? I, I, I mean, my pastor used to say to me all the time, he used to say, I want to treat my wife like a princess that makes other people's wives jealous. And I'm like, dude, you homewrecker. Why would you do that? Why are you trying to make me look bad, man? You know? No, but you, you should seriously do what the Bible says and love your wife like Christ loved the church. How do you love the church? Gave, herself, gave himself up for her. Man, that is a high calling, one that can't be done in the natural power. We need the Holy Spirit to help us, fellas, to do that. The, 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 the marriage picture is a picture of Christ loving his church, and that's why he's serious about his leaders loving their wives the way that they're supposed to love their wives because it's a great picture. Now, does this require somebody to be married? No, it doesn't. It, it's not... Not, not, you can't read into that and say, okay, well, you have to have one wife. No, that's not, that's not what he's saying. He's saying if you do, that you're a one-woman man. But it's not, not you know, a requirement to be married. If that were the case, Jesus nor Paul would be able to lead our church. So that neither one were married. And, you know, here's the other thing that I think churches go way further and they, make, they almost become Pharisees of the Word of God in the relation to this particular, um, uh, this, this quality that's given for overseers here in, in, in 1 Timothy 3 is when somebody gets divorced. Then when somebody gets divorced in many, many um, denominations, that's disqualification, period. Like they could never be, um, and, and it doesn't even matter for what. Like it could be biblical divorce. It could be because there was an adulterous situation going on. It could be biblical, but they're not, oh, you're disqualified. And so they don't allow that person to step into the pulpit. That's not what this says. You know, if somebody's called, does God uncall people? Like does he say, well, yeah, yeah. I didn't know from the foundation of the world that you were going to do that. So let me pull that calling back from you, you know. What, what sense would it make for God to call somebody knowing what they were going to do already and then to revoke them completely from the calling? Now, here's what I would say is you have to be careful with restoring somebody too quickly. I, I mean, the New Testament's about grace, man, right? It's not about perfection. It's about people that, that are living under the, the law of grace and, and the Lord um, paying the price and all these kinds of things. And, and so it, it would make no sense that, um, you know, this, this, like this sin is greater than any other sin. They're sins, you know, and, and, and so, you know, I think you have to be careful about restoring somebody too quickly 
But it is legalistic to say that somebody who was, had a divorce is, you know, could never be qualified to, to lead in a pulpit again. And, you know, there are many, many, many people that believe that. And that's wrong, period. That's not what it says. So, you know, we have to be careful that we don't start making rules to things. And I don't say that because I've never been divorced. I've been, I'm, no, I'm a one-woman man. <laughs> and my woman is, well... See, I got to make up here because I haven't loved my wife like Christ loves the church. No, I'm kidding. But. So, you, so we, we have to be careful we don't feed into these things and make them say what they don't say. Thirdly, Paul says here that we need to be, this person needs to be sober-minded or temperate, meaning that he, he, has, he, he lives in a restrained manner. Like he's just not, and it kind of coincides with what he says next, which is, a person needs to be self-controlled. Uh, to be sober-minded means you're not flighty. It means you're not, you, you, that, that you're not constantly jumping from one thing to another, but you're sober-minded. And then, and then he says that you're self-controlled, that you're well-disciplined, and you're prudent. You know how to order your priorities. That's what that means. Self-controlled, that you're able to, you know, you're able to set in order your life, that things aren't spiraling out of control. Warren Wearsby um, made, made a great comment regarding this, you know, because you can, it, it kind of sounds like, well, sober mind and self-control. This guy sounds like a dud, you know, but that, that's not, it's not somebody who has a lack of sense of humor, but it's somebody who is serious about the Lord and living for the Lord and, and, is, and knows that there's a time to joke and there's not a time to joke. You know, Wearsby said this does not mean that, this, that he has no sense of humor or that he's always solemn and somber. Rather, it suggests that he knows the value of things and does not cheapen the ministry or the gospel message by foolish behavior. So you want a person, you're looking for a person that lives in that way. <laughs> Spurgeon said one time, a lady came up to him, she said, after one of his sermons said that, uh, um, Mr. Spurgeon, you take far too liberty, li liberty in the pulpit. And he said, ma'am, if you only knew how much I restrained from joking in the pulpit. You know, he, he, he was a jokester, but he was serious. And he knew when, when to be serious and when not to be serious. He is to be respectable. Interesting that this word used here, respectable, is the same word used in 1 Timothy 2.9, that word modest. Remember it says that women should, should dress modestly. That word modest is the same word meaning respectable here. And, and they, they need to be um, modest in, in the sense of well-ordered, that people can respect this person, that they can receive from them. How can you receive and re How can you go to a church that you don't respect the leadership? You can't. You can't, if you don't respect the leadership of your church, then, then it's going to be awfully hard for you to receive from the church. So that probably would mean that, you know, if, if you can't, it, it, here's what I would say. If there's a problem, you need to deal with that, the problem, and get, get some resolution going. God's given us the ministry of reconciliation. And if you can't, then, you know, you probably need to go somewhere else because that's not healthy for you. And that's not healthy for the body. And it's one of those things that it sucks that unfortunately we're human beings and people don't like to deal with problems. Generally, people want to, wanna, they're like, whoa, church is something that I show up to that I, I'm, I'm sort of somewhat in control of. If it was my job, I'd address it. But if it's only my church, really? Only your church? It's only your church? It's, it's only God's people? That doesn't, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't deal with your problems. I hit this hard because it doesn't, people don't do it. The Bible says... If you have something against somebody, deal with it. Don't let it go. Don't, 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 oh, well, I'm just going to avoid that person completely. You, do you, you ever read the book of 1 John? You know what it says in 1 John 2? That if you don't love the brethren, then the love of God is not in you. So like that's super convicting, isn't it? And, and so I would just encourage you, man, read Matthew 18 and, and do what it says. If there's a problem, deal with it. Go to that person. Say, hey, man, you offended me, and I, and I want to tell you about it. 
because I want to I make things right. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, God has given you the spirit of reconciliation. He's given you the ministry of reconciliation, not just vertically, but horizontally, okay? So do that. You guys reconcile. Do those sorts of things. Um, he goes on here, and he talks about being hospitable. Now, um, in, this, in this culture, you have to remember that, especially in the Ephesus, you know, the, the hotels and the different, the inns that they had there were all prostitute, you know, infested places. So you have somebody who comes out of town, you know, and, and the pastor's like, oh yeah, go stay at the inn. Like, go put yourself in temptation's way. No, rather that person should say, I want to welcome you into my home and protect you. Kind of sort of like what Lot did with the angels, right? So that, that's the idea here. The, the word hospitable means... Um, literally, it's a compound Greek word, phileos, which means to love, and then exnos, which means strangers, to love strangers. People come showing, how many of you guys have ever opened your home up to a stranger you don't know? We've done that. It's weird. It's very weird. But, but being hospitable, you know, to people when they show up in town and they're like, not anybody. I mean, you're not going to pick a homeless guy up. Well, you could. Who knows? But, but I, I mean, you might do that too. But, but my point is, is that when people show up and, and in this culture, they needed somewhere to go. And, and the leadership of the church should be opening their home up to these people being hospitable, loving strangers. Seventh quality is he's able to teach. Now, this isn't speaking about natural ability, but supernatural gifting. The person needs to be able to expound the scriptures to correct those who are misusing them and to recognize when error is happening. The, you're, the leaders in your church, the elders of your church, the overseers need to be able to recognize what is truth and what is not and, and be able to bring it from the scriptures, not how I feel about it. Because it really doesn't matter how I feel about it or how, how you feel about it. What does the Bible say? You know, that's really ultimately what we need to be looking at. Paul said it like this to Titus in Titus 1.9. He must hold firm the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. He must be able to, to teach. Now this also, there's more that meets the eye in this particular quality that you're looking for because in order to be able to teach, you know what that means? You have to be teachable. So in other words, the leadership of your church isn't somebody who's beyond being teachable. Like, I've, I've learned enough. Like, I don't need to learn anymore. Like, they should be constantly learning. Listen, I learn stuff every week as I'm studying different things. And, and as I'm reading through the Bible and my devotions, I learn new things all the time. And if you're not able, you're not, you're not able to be teachable, then you're not going to be able to fully really teach. That's the point. He goes on here, and uh, he, he says that this person is not a drunkard. Not a drunkard. This is, again, one of those taken way out of context. It doesn't say that he's, he, it doesn't prohibit the, um, the, the drinking of alcohol as in wineless. That's not what it says. It's that he's not a drunkard. This person's not a drunkard. I, I don't drink. I don't ever drink or anything like that. I think, I think it's, for me, I think I would feel very weird about standing in Kroger with a six-pack of beer and somebody from my church shows up. I don't know. I'd just be like, uh. You know, I mean, I would feel very strange about that because here's the thing is I don't know what that, where that person is. I don't know what they struggle with, and I don't know if this is something that they're going, hey, Pastor Tim does that. I can do that. I want to give anybody an opportunity to go, hey, Pastor, Pastor Tim throws down a couple, you know. I don't do that for that reason, but not because it's not biblical because it doesn't say you can't have why? Now, some churches, that, that's their requirement for their leadership, that they abstain from alcohol. Hey, listen, if you, if you come into a, um, a church and they say, you know, listen, this is what we require for our leaders, and you sign up for that, you need to do it. You don't go back a year later going, well, man, that's just legalistic. It's not in there. Listen, you, you signed up for that. You said you would uphold that. So, you know, whatever. But, but at the end of the day, this doesn't mean that um, a person can't have a, a, a drink, you know? I, I remember I was listening to Matt Chandler once, and, uh, you know, um, he, I, I, I thought, he, he was talking about, hey, if you want to <laughs> get me something for Christmas, get me a nice bottle of wine, he was saying, and he wasn't joking. 
And I was like, whoa, man, hey, what's that guy doing? He drinks, you know? And, and I thought, whoa, that's, that's crazy. And it was the legalist in me going, whoa, starting to judge that guy. Like, whoa, what is he doing? Why is he drinking? Why is he saying that? The Bible doesn't say to be wineless. It doesn't mean to be, it means, it says don't get drunk. Don't get drunk. That's the sin. So, you know, and, and that isn't to give anybody liberty. If you struggle with alcohol, it is a sin for you to even have a drink because you, that could lead you down the road to total devastation. Don't do it. There are Christian liberties that we have in Christ that we have to be very careful with. And you also have to be care- not just careful with yourself, but very careful with those people around you. You know, so, so you don't cause somebody else to, to, to stumble. Ninth, he says that they are not violent. They're, literally, this means that this person must not be a striker. I mean, you know, could you imagine uh, the, the, the elder, like Mike Mondary, you know, uh, Elder Mike Mondary, TKO's uh, member of Calvary Chapel for disagreeing on, uh, you know, whatever, theology or something. You know, that, that wouldn't, that's not a good testimony. You, you, and you know why people resort to violence? Because they don't feel like they're being heard. You know that? that? That's what happens. That's the escalation of somebody who doesn't feel like they're being heard, like their point's not being taken across, and, and they're, they're not, it's not being considered. So they escalate and escalate and escalate to the point that they, they become so angry that they become violent. Listen, as, a, as an elder or overseer of the church, you can't let the fact that many, many people will never do, will never, not do, that's the wrong word, will never receive your counsel. And, and no, you're not listening to me. Listen to me. Here's what I'm telling you. That you become violent over it? How does that glorify God? But it happens, sadly. That's why Paul's addressing it. Here's what he is supposed to be, though. Number 10, he's to be gentle. That means he's to be tolerant towards people, to be gracious towards people, to be considerate, to be kind, to be forbearing. A person who easily pardons the failures of others, even when it's against him. It's what Galatians 6 1 says, where it says, you know, if you, you come across somebody who's, who's stumbled and has fallen, you who are spiritual, restore that person in a spirit of gentleness. You're gentle with people. People, when, when Jesus said to Peter, he restored Peter, you know, at the end of John chapter 20 or 21, he said, he said, Peter, beat the heck out of my sheep, man. That's not what he said. You guys are like, he did? He, he really said, no, he didn't say that. You know what he said? He said, Feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my lambs, feed them, love them, minister to them, do not beat them. This is one of those things that, you know, God calls his ministers to be gentle people, but to be strong and to be bold and to stand up for truth, but at the same token, to have a spirit of gentleness. Eleventh, not quarrelsome, meaning divisive or disunifying, this person doesn't like to argue with people. You're not trying to, you got to see it my way. I just can't, you know, no. It's not a quarrelsome person. He's not a lover of money. Listen, the Bible says that the love of money, we're going to get to that here shortly. The love, listen, the love of money is the root of all evil. Money is not the problem. Money is an inanimate object. It has no feelings, it has no thoughts, it, it can't tell you what to do, but the love of it can possess you. You know, the love of it can con- totally control you and cause you to do very, very wicked things. Ask Judas Iscariot. The love of money, you know, I don't think people, well, most people in the ministry don't do it for the money in the first place because there's not a lot there, but uh, some, some make quite a bit of money and they do it because of the love of money. So, you know, the, the, the leader in the church, you know, if all you're hearing about is money and money and money and money, there's a problem. God's ministry is not, not based on the pastor standing in the pulpit begging you for money. Because here's the thing is, if God called this church to exist, it will exist, period. You know, 
I don't think you ever hear us talk about money here at all, ever, unless it's in the text. You know, we might remind people we have an offering box in the back. We don't talk about money because you know what? I think that that's a mistake that the church makes. Are we depending on God or not? Well, you know, people need to know your needs, so you put it up on the screen so everybody can see. Like, here, here's, here's, where, here's where we are, you know. I, I, I think if you have a question about that, if the Holy Spirit asks you to do that, our books are always open. You can come look. <laughs> we don't care. You can, see what, you can see exactly where we're at financially, but I don't want to pressure you. I think God loves a cheerful giver. And God has given that, God has put that um, on your hearts. Listen, he, he, I don't have to worry about that. We pray, Lord, you do your work, and the Lord does his work, and we, don't, we, we haven't shut our doors yet. You know, and, and I guess if that were to happen, then I would say, I guess it's the Lord. You know? So we just, we just keep moving forward. But, but the love of money, unfortunately, has possessed many pulpits, man. And, uh, you know, hey, if you just sow in that love gift, you know, I'll, I'll give you this free handkerchief that I prayed over, you know, and you can, you can be healed by it. You know, and, and I don't mock those people. I just think that that is a, that's not necessary. We don't need to fleece God's flock. That's the devil. The devil does those kind of things. Number four, he must manage, uh, verse four, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if he does, if someone does not know how to manage his household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. An overseer in the church of God must be able to rule over his own house well. An elder should be the head of his house, not his wife. An elder should be the head of his house. He should be modeling that perfectly. Not, not perfectly, but he should be modeling that, that male headship that we've been talking about the last two weeks. And if you miss those, go back and listen to them. This is not a, a, a sh like a hammer on women at all. And in fact, if God was going by capabilities, women would be leading this entire world, period, because they're way more capable. Generally speaking, they have a different mindset, you know? Um, but... Well, okay, well, maybe, okay, I'm speaking for myself then, man. <laughs> but, but here's the thing is, God has instilled an order to things, and we surrender to his order. So I'd encourage you to, if you miss that, and you're like, well, that, listen to it, just listen to it. Um, but but the, 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 the elder should, should lead his house well. He should, his, his wife should not be leading the house. He should be. His children should be in submission to his instruction. What does that mean? That means his kids always do everything he says all the time. Johnny on the spot. Hey, hey no. no, not really. You know what submission means? I talked about it last week. That word literally means to fall in rank or to fall in order. So there's an order to things. Like, your kids may not like what you say, but, but they do what you say because you're the authority in the home, right? And so there's that submission to the, to the word. They, they do what, they, they do what they're, they're asked to do. Wearsby said, this does not mean that pastor's children should not be allowed to be children. So they, not, they, they should be allowed to be children. They should, they're going to make mistakes. People make mistakes all the time. Sometimes they make big mistakes. That's okay. You know, the, the really the bigger question is, is he leading well? Is it, are the mistakes made because of the lack of leadership in the home? Or is it, be, is it the rebellion to the leadership in the home? That's ultimately, as your kids get older and they age, that becomes the question. What's, what's ultimately the deal with that? And so he, he says, in, in, in a parathetical sense, like he, in, in parentheses, Paul says, yeah, if someone doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? How's he going to be able to lead? If he can't, if he can't lead in, in, in his home, then how can he lead God's church? Do you know that, seriously, they're um, CEOs of gigantic corporations. Um, the, the, the leaders are incredible, right, in the workplace. But their home life is a wreck. You know, and, and that's because that's where their focus is. You know, and I think this really, if you read this correctly, I think what this does, 
It changes the emphasis of, the, of not pastor slash father, but father slash pastor. You know what I'm saying? There's an order here that needs to, needs to be kept in order. And, and I think many pastors fail at this as they spend too much time pastoring the church and not enough time pastoring their children. And I'll tell you, that, that was a struggle for me, man. I, I was bivocational for a long time. And, um, you know, I had a full-time job. I owned my own business. And I had planted a church, which is, if you don't know anything about that, all the work's on your shoulders all the time. So you have to do everything. And that, that easily could get way out of control. But, you know, I, I thank God that he, he kept me somewhat, I say somewhat, um, controlled in that, that I didn't get way out of whack with my family. But I also say that if I, if I could go back, I would have done it differently. I'd have done it a little differently. Because the, the, the fathering your children, to be the parent of your child, no one else can do that. The government wants to do that, but they can't do it. You need to do that. God has put them in your path. He wants you to be their guide. He's given you the understanding of how to do that with them. So you do it to the best of your ability. You also don't forsake the calling in your life either. Well, I got to be a father, so I can't do anything else. No. God has allowed you to do both if he's called you to do both, right? So you do it well, and you do it to the best of your ability. An overseer must be effective in leading his own family. And he's not going to do it perfectly, but nonetheless, he will be able to do it. Fourteenth, he must not be a recent convert. A new believer should never hold a leadership position in a church, period. I don't care if it's Justin Bieber that just got saved or Kanye West and that they have, they have a great platform for their platform. But here's the thing is to, I hate when this happens. Somebody you know, famous gets saved and they prop them up be, before the church and go, now here, show everybody how to do it. They know nothing. They know nothing. They don't know how to exposit the word of God. They don't know, all they can, they can share their testimony and they should, just like you should. They should be sharing their faith with people, but my goodness, you stick a guy like Daryl Strawberry up in front of the pulpit and the guy's been convicted you know of all kinds of things he gets saved and now you put all this pressure on the guy and you know what shame on those pastors for doing that the guy needs discipled he needs he needs to be shown daryl strawberry that's like 1980 i know it just came to mind man i don't know but but for real i mean recently you know justin bieber got saved and, you know, it's cool to see what, what the Lord's doing. It would be really a sad thing for his pastor, Judah Smith, to stick him up in front of the, pul uh, in the pulpit every week and say, look, we got Justin. We got Jesus. This is awesome. We got Justin, man. What, do you, what is he trying to do? Trying to woo people in is what he's trying to do. I thank God that they're not doing that. That dude needs discipled. And you know what? Then he can take his ministry into his platform. And... You know, if the Lord calls him into the pulpit, then praise God, but let the Lord do that. Don't just prop somebody up there because they're famous and you want to, you, dude, that's like, that's like just like completely and totally using people. What a sad thing for people to do, man. This guy need, can't be a recent convert. The, the person, the leadership of the church needs to be people that they're called elders for a reason. Like they got some age behind them, right? They've, they've lived life a little bit. And, and it's not necessarily about the age, to be honest with you, but it's about the spiritual maturity of the person. You know, it, somebody could be a young person in the pulpit, you know, and, and uh, uh, you know, I look at like Ben Corson, John Corson's son. I, he's super young. But dude, that dude is, teaches the word of God. He's on fire for the Lord. And, you know, he has his own ministry and all that, but he pastors their church too. He's one of the pastors on staff at, at um, that church there. And, and it's just cool to see. He's probably like, what, 24 or something, 25, something like that. Young guy. But, dude, he's on, he, he was raised in the church. His dad discipled him. He knows how to teach the Bible. He's got a calling on his life, and there's no question about that. That's awesome. It's not about age. It's about spiritual maturity. He goes on here and... and um, um, he, he can't be a recent convert. Notice why. Or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. He might be 
become conceitful, when he starts to see the Lord work, he goes, man, look what I'm doing. <laughs> God is so lucky to have me on his team. Man, you know, that, that's the problem. The devil, is, the devil is phenomenal at that game. He knows how to sneak in and to, to, to just sow those seeds of um, pride in our heart to make us think that we're something more than we are. Last thing, we're going we're gonna to end it here. We'll pick it up next week and the rest of it. But finally, be well thought of by outsiders. Literally, this, this person needs to have a good testimony with unbelievers. What a sad thing it is that pastors of churches are known in their communities for hating the lost. How sad. We are, we're called to love people, all people. It doesn't matter who they are. And when, when you have the heart of God, then you just love people. I mean, some people are super hard to love, don't get me wrong. But you still, you still surrender to the Lord and you say, God, I know I need to love this person and I'm going to love this person because you're telling me to do that. You can't be the leader in the church and be a jerk to the world. You can't. That, that, those are, the, those are your, the people you're supposed to go, be going after. How can you reach people you're being a jerk to? You know, when, you, when you're at the, at the uh, you know, you see this from time to time at a waitress at a, um, you know, restaurant and serving a pastor in the community and the pastor's just a total jerk to the person. Leaves a zero tip and all this kind of stuff and it's just like, dude, man, remind me to not, to not to do that to you because I'm super mad at you because you did that, but, you know, don't treat people like that, man. That, that's not right. This guy should be above and beyond loving a person right where they are. And if that person's having a horrible day, then you should bless their socks off. Make their day better. Why, you know, he, we need to be well thought of from the outsider so that he may not fall into disgrace, that he might bring disgrace upon the church, upon the Lord, upon God's name. It's about the Lord, man. It's not about us. Paul said it like this in Galatians 5, 15 and 16. Look caref carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. The days are evil. Let it not ever be said of us that, you know, um, we, we deterred somebody from the Lord because of the way that we treated them, because of the way that we interacted with people. We're going to blow it, but again, the point is that you go back and make that right if you've done that, man. Go back and say, hey, I'm sorry. One time I was on the phone with somebody in my business, and I was really stressed out, and they, um, they, they, the, the lady said something to me. I don't know, and I'm like, dah, 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 dah. <laughs> and as soon as I hung up the phone on the lady, this was like yesterday. No, it wasn't really, but <laughs> as soon as I hung up on the phone on the lady, it was like the Holy Spirit just went, and I went, oh, man. Fortunately, that doesn't happen a lot. <laughs> so I called her up, and I said, listen, I am a complete idiot. I am so sorry that I did that to you. You didn't deserve that, and it doesn't matter what we got going on here. That's not acceptable. Will you please forgive me? And this lady starts crying. I'm thinking, dude, I should be the one crying. <laughs> she starts crying. She's like, thank you for doing that. I'm like, and that even made me feel worse. I was like, oh, thank you for doing what? For making your dad, you know. But, but that's the point. That's how we should be towards people. If we blow it, dude, make it right. Don't bring a reproach upon the name of the Lord, man. You know, if people know you're believers, then, you ha then that should even be extra accountability in your life to be saying, I need to live my life in a way that would bring glory to his name. Amen? Father, thank you for your word this morning and uh, just for the reminder here of the, the call that you have upon uh, not just overseers' lives, Lord, but the call that you have upon our lives as Christians and who you call us to be, Lord. These 15 things that we talked about today, Lord, don't, they, they, they need to be present in the life of the overseer, but they also, Lord, need to be present in our lives. Father, we pray that uh, as we live out these days, in these last days, they are evil, that we do what Paul talked about in Ephesians 5, that we walk circumspectly, that we are careful, Lord, about the way that we do things. 
And Father, I just pray right now, Lord, if there's anything we need to make right, that we go back and make that right, God. That we bring honor to your name, not reproach. Father, we pray for um, each and every person here today as, um, as we consider the, what you've called into the life of the leader, what, what, what the person should look like. If there's any questions ever, Lord, that we would seek your, your word and then we would seek the elders of our church to, to ask about certain things if there's questions, Lord. We, those who are called to this position, Lord, are called to a high calling and so there is accountability, Lord, beyond, uh, well, what would seem normal for everyone else. There is a stricter judgment. So, Lord, I do pray for the elders of our church, myself, Pastor Mike, Pastor Brian, Lord, that we, we are those kind of men for our board of directors here, God, and for the men in our church that we would have others that could step into this role as overseer that we would see the, the fruit of the Spirit of God in their lives, Lord, living in such a way that would display these, these kind of qualities. So, Lord, we thank you for today. We, we ask if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you, never had a relationship with you, Lord, you died on the cross for the sin of the world. That would include their sin. You desire relationship. Lord, you're not, you're not up, up in heaven, uh, you know, demanding judgment upon their lives, Lord, although that will happen because sin, the wages of sin is death. But Father, we do pray that what we do know about you, Lord, is that you're a loving God who wants to be reconciled to your creation. And you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for those who were hopeless, who were stuck in sin, who had a nature that they could not control. And so I just pray, Lord, that you, you bring that to the heart of any person that needs to know that and they know that they can call upon you. They can turn from their sin this morning. They can call upon your name and they can be saved today knowing that they know that they know that they would be going to heaven, Lord. So we just thank you for the gospel and for the, uh, the ability to be drawn to your, to your feet this morning. So we thank you, God. We ask you to just continue to bless our time as we close in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.